Easter is a celebration of Jesus who died on the cross in the place of sinners, bearing the wrath of God, was buried, and three days later came back to life. And the good news is that all those who repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus can live forever. I'm glad you're here with us on Easter. Perhaps this is your first time here. Maybe you haven't been to church in a long time, maybe ever, and wonder what happens here on Sunday morning. It's really, really simple. It's what we do. We read the Bible. By God's grace, I attempt to explain it. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we embrace it and live it out. It's all we do. It's what we're going to do here this morning. And the portion of the Bible we're going to read this morning is one that I have uh, visited before. It's very encouraging to me. I wanted to visit it again. And it comes from the book of John. So if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to John, we've been going through Romans all year. But this morning we're going to be in the book of John, specifically John 20, verses 24 through 31. So if you're going to go ahead and stand, I'm going to read the Bible. Listen to the very famous story. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You may be seated. Ever since this time, Thomas has been stuck with a label, Doubting Thomas. It's kind of a bummer for him because he's not the only one who doubted. If you read the Bible, there are a variety of people who doubt in the resurrection of Jesus. And since that time, there's been people who doubted the resurrection of Jesus. And there's people in here right now who doubt the resurrection of Jesus. And typically, doubt falls into a variety of categories. Some people doubt based upon intellectual or philosophical reasons. Some of you are here this morning, and you're like, I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead because dead people don't come back. That makes sense, right? And so you, you have intellectual and philosophical issues on why Jesus could not have come back to life. And so I want to encourage you, if that is you, to not just let that assumption just stick out there, but to challenge it. Uh, there's plenty, countless books that have been written on the, the reality of Jesus' resurrection and how good rational arguments you can interact with some of us. So if you come here this morning with, with intellectual doubts, I want to encourage you to, to challenge those. Now, there are some people 
who doubt for moral reasons. And what I mean by that is that they don't want to believe because if they believed, and they would actually have to submit to Jesus as Lord, and they kind of want to do their own thing. And so, in a sense, they create doubts to the resurrection of Jesus because they simply do not want to follow him in his ways. And I mean, typically on a college campus, if you're interacting with someone over Jesus and someone is questioning whether they're going to believe or not, one of the things you can say is when they tell you they don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you can ask them, you can say, who are you sleeping with? You may say, well, those two are disconnected. Well, not necessarily so. You'll find that some people don't want to embrace the resurrection of Jesus because of their life. They don't want to conform it to Jesus Christ, and so they don't believe. But I believe, once again, these issues can be worked through on, on why you should submit to the Lordship of Christ and not to your own life. Now, the question I have for you here this morning is this. Thinking about the life of Thomas, what's his deal? Where is his doubt? Is Thomas's doubt in moral? Is it in the moral realm? I mean, you think Thomas wants to do his own thing, live his life for himself, not submit to Jesus? No, 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 no. No. He's been following Jesus for three years. He loves Jesus. He'll submit to Jesus. His doubt is not moral. Could you say that Thomas's doubt is intellectual? Does Thomas doubt the resurrection of Jesus because it intellectually does not make sense to him? No, Thomas is a God-fearing Jew who's been following Jesus, who has seen the miracles of Jesus. In fact, Thomas saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. So I don't think Thomas has massive intellectual issues of Jesus' resurrection. So what is it? Why does Thomas doubt? I'm going to leave you in suspense. Because I want you to hang on and think through the text with me and discover it yourself. And at the same time, I believe that even though some of you may doubt for intellectual reasons, some of you may doubt for moral reasons, chances are that most of the believers in here have had doubt very similar to Thomas in your life. And it's so significant to see how he proceeds through it and the conclusion that he comes to, and by God's grace, you will as well. So let's jump in and see what's going on with Thomas's doubt. Look at verse 24. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So Thomas was not in the room when Jesus came back, revealed himself to the disciples that he was resurrected. The question is, where was he? Where was the disciple Thomas when Christ revealed himself to the other disciples? Well, some say, you know, Thomas just wanted to be by himself. He loved Jesus. He followed Jesus. Now Jesus is dead. He just wants to be alone. Well, eventually the other disciples caught up with him and they told him what they saw, verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. <clears throat> These are credible witnesses. These are his brothers he's been hanging with over the years, right? Doing these miracles with Jesus and preaching for Jesus. And they're like, Thomas, we have seen Jesus. Maybe they even said, man, we saw those holes in his hands and we saw where the spear went. It's like, we have seen him alive. Thomas is like, nope. Not going to believe it. I'm not going there. Verse 25. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, mm, I will never believe. So Thomas has this 
vivid picture of Jesus on the cross, crucified and dead, and he's thinking about his wounds, and he's saying, you know what? I'm not going to believe until I take my finger and I stick it into his hand. And Thomas remembers the spear that was thrust through Jesus' side, and blood and water are pouring out of Jesus, confirming his death. And Thomas is like, I'm not going to believe until I take my hand and I thrust it into his side. Until then, I will never believe. What's going on here? Is this doubt for moral reasons? No. And I would say this is not even doubt for intellectual reasons. Something else is going on here. This is not moral doubt. This is not intellectual doubt. What is going on here? All right, hang with me. I want to give you two flashbacks. You know how you watch a TV show and they do these flashback things? All right, I'm going to do that with you right now. Two flashbacks to the life of Thomas. This is amazing what he's experienced. All right, so let's do this, all right? At one time, Jesus' friend, his name was Lazarus. He died. Jesus wants to go back and raise Lazarus to life. The disciples say, no, no, Jesus, you can't go back there because if you go back there, the Jews who are there will kill you. And Jesus says, let's go. Listen to what Thomas says. This is what Thomas said. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. This is not doubting Thomas. This is courageous Thomas. Jesus, we are with you 100%. You want to go back and die? We'll go with you. We'll go and we'll die along with you. Let's go with him. Courageous Thomas. Okay, one more flashback. This is a great flashback in John 14. You have this famous passage that all of you have heard where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Remember that? Remember that? You remember that first? Okay. That verse is actually a response to Thomas's question. Did you know that? Thomas asked the question. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Now, let me kind of put these things together for you, okay? Thomas is all in. He wants to be with Jesus always. Jesus says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. He told them that he would eventually take them to where he is, to, but they know the way. And then Thomas is like, Lord, where are you going? We do not know the way. You can almost hear the panic in his voice because he loves Jesus. He wants to be where Jesus is. And if Jesus is going away and he doesn't know how to get there, panic has kind of taken over because Jesus is absolutely everything to Thomas. His life is completely centered on Jesus, and he loves him. Okay, those are cool flashbacks, right? All right, now check this out. So in our passage today, Thomas hears about the resurrection, and he's like, no way. I am not going there. No there's no way my heart and my mind are going to go there. I've given my life to Jesus. I love him. Now he's dead. All my dreams have come crashing down. And he's like, I am not going to be burned again. This is not intellectual doubt. This is not moral doubt. 
I think we can classify Thomas's doubt as doubt produced by shattered expectations. I think this is doubt produced by shattered expectations. Thomas expected everything to play out in a certain way. Jesus was not supposed to die. And if Jesus did die, Thomas wanted to die with him. Now Jesus is dead and Thomas is left. And in his mind, he can't go to wherever Jesus is at. So at the cross, all the expectations that Thomas had came crashing down. And right now at this point, he's like, I'm not going to believe again. He's not going to be burned again. And I have a feeling many of you can relate to Thomas. You have this doubt that is kind of crowded into your life. You have these certain expectations of where things were to go. And things have come crashing down. I, I, I'm just kind of, let me just say this. All right. Chances are that most of you did not expect to be where you're at right now in your life. You had certain goals, you had certain aspirations, you had some certain ways that you thought your life would work out. And maybe 80% of you are thinking, you know, the challenges that I have now are not part of my plan. And maybe you have some disappointment with God. Maybe you have some disappointment with the way some things worked out. And in that disappointment, you're like, God, are you there? God, do you care? God, what is going on? And you start to doubt that he loves you. You start to doubt that he cares. You start to doubt that he's real. And that starts to be connected with the miracles in the Bible and the resurrection. And so you have these doubts that have been produced by what you have expected to happen in life has not been happening like Thomas expected, and it's all been shattered. Thomas knows how you feel. Something happened, though took eight days. Let's look at it. Verse 26. Eight days later. Circle that. Hmm. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. So Thomas had eight days to think about this, the resurrection of Jesus. Eight days, the truth of the resurrection sat with him. And then verse 26 says, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Let's rename Thomas again, all right? First, we, it was doubting Thomas to courageous Thomas. Now we can say it's doubting Thomas to freaking out Thomas. <laughs> Jesus is right there. But Jesus doesn't go off on him. Jesus doesn't come on and say, where is Thomas? Thomas, you get over here right now. How dare you not believe me? What are you thinking? Doesn't do that. Jesus says, Peace be with you. It doesn't go off. And I really think, my brothers and sisters, when we have doubts, we have struggles, I really don't think that Jesus is going off on you. Some people in the church may go off on you in your doubts, but Jesus is not going off on you. It's almost like he comes up to you and he says, hey, peace be with you. But he's not going to let you hang out in your doubt. He's going to challenge you. He's going to come at you. And that's exactly what he does with Thomas. He comes at him. He challenges his unbelief. Look at verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, how about this for a challenge? Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. 
do not disbelieve, but believe. So he's going to Thomas head on. He's like, see, touch, believe. Come on. Look, who, who am I? I'm right here, right in front of you. You want to touch? Come on. Touch me. Come on. You need to believe. You know what's amazing? Jesus told his disciples time and time again in the Gospels, look, I'm going to die and then I'm going to rise. And the Bible says, clueless. They don't get it. He says it again. I'm going to die and I'm going to rise. Clueless. They totally don't get it. But now, for Thomas, everything is starting to come together and it starts to make sense. And look at Thomas's response in verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Thomas doesn't say, whoa, I guess they were right. Or he doesn't say, oh, Jesus, it's really you. You're back from the dead. Okay, I believe now. This is great. No, no. He sees something bigger than all he expected to go on. And God opened his heart and his mind, and he proclaimed in worship, my Lord and my God. Do you understand? He is proclaiming far more than the resurrection. He is professing faith in Jesus as God. My Lord and my God. He sees God in the flesh right in front of him, and he is beholding his glory, and we don't even know if he touches Jesus' hands or he thrusts his hand inside. I don't think any of that matters, because right now he is worshiping and he is praising Jesus, my Lord and my God. Are you tracking here? All along, something much bigger was going on than all that Thomas expected. I don't know what he expected. Maybe he thought Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem, set himself up as king, and he'd be hanging out and ruling. I don't know what he's thinking. But something bigger is going on. And this is what the bigger thing is going on. Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth, lived a perfect life. Here is what was going on. He was put on the cross. And yes, it was physically painful what happened to him on the cross. But the most painful thing is the wrath of God is being pouring out on Jesus in the place of sinners. He is buried. Three days later, he comes back to life. And the good news that is proclaimed in Jerusalem and all around the world, that anyone who repents of their sins, puts their faith in Jesus Christ, can be forgiven, reconciled, and live with God forever. So I don't know what Thomas was expecting, but to me, that sounds far better. Are you with me? Yes. Yes. That is much better. That is far better. So I don't know what he was expecting, but that is a much better gospel. Something bigger is going on than whatever is going on in your mind and your expectations. I'm not, I don't want to be kind of going off on you for having expectations because we've got to have expectations. We've got to have goals. We've got to have dreams. There's nothing wrong with praying in a certain way. There's nothing wrong by hoping in a certain way. But at times, you know, hopes, dreams, and even your prayers will go not answered the way you want. And from time to time, you will feel disappointment. And when that happens, your response if you're a believer, it's got to be my Lord and my God. You are Lord over my life. You are my God. And whatever you are doing and I can't see is still 
bigger than all of my expectations. For the last several months, we've been studying through the book of Romans, and next week we are going to see that every single detail in your life, everything that has ever happened to you, and if you are a believer in Jesus, God is taking all these things, orchestrating, ordaining all these things, even the bad, and he's working for your good. And your response could be, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? Or it can be like, okay, my Lord and my God. You're working the details of my life for my good. I will now submit my life to you, and I will believe. And when you have this disposition, you can start to move from doubt to faith. Well, look what Jesus says to Thomas as we start to wrap things up here. Jesus said to him in verse 29, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So Jesus is not criticizing the faith of Thomas, but he acknowledges that Thomas's faith, and then he takes even a step further, and all those who believe, even those of you who are here at Evanston Bible Fellowship in 2014, those of you who believed without seeing will be blessed with eternal life and abundant life. In fact, I would say that if you're here this morning and you're having some doubts, and you will in the Christian life, but right now, if you're having some doubts, what are you supposed to do? Well, did you know that the book of John was written so that you would believe? Like the Apostle John actually wrote this so that you would believe. Not just a one-shot deal, but that you would keep on believing. That's why he wrote it. Well, look what he says. Look at two more verses in verses 30 and 31. He said, well, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, this is what you're going to have. You're going to have these dips in life. You're going to have faith. You're going to dip down into doubt. You'll come back up with the faith. And you may dip down for intellectual reasons, moral reasons, shattered expectations, and you can dip back up. And the way you dip back up is you keep coming back to the Word of God. You keep coming back to the Word of God and reading, specifically here, the book of John, the life of Jesus, and it builds up your faith and it increases your faith. So if you're new to the faith and for the first time ever you're having some doubts and freaking out, wondering if you're saved at all, come back to the Word and find your faith going back up again. For those of you going through a dark time, wondering, God, are you even there? Come back to the Word and find your faith being built back up again. And for those of you who are not believers in Jesus, this was written so that you may believe. And if you feel in your heart right now or in your mind or something is stirring you up where you're almost saying, I want to believe, but I'm not quite there yet, the book of John, great book to read as you will move from unbelief to belief. So this is what we're going to do. We are going to do something in your own life. You can participate if you want. It's up to you. Uh, I want to call it right now a new name. I didn't even say it in the first service. I'm just going to make this up here. Let's just call it an eight-day project, okay? So Thomas heard about the resurrection, and for eight days, he did not believe. <laughs> he had some doubt issues for eight days, right? So let's do a little eight-day project for here. This is what I want you to do over the eight days, if you're willing, if you're going to be encouraged to move from, from doubt to faith. It's, it's number one is this. Read the book of John. Over the next eight days, read the book of John. 
Read about the miracles of Jesus. Read about the resurrection of Jesus, his crucifixion for sinners. Read the book of John and see if your faith is not being encouraged to move from doubt to faith. Eight days. Give it a shot. The second thing I want to say so over these next eight days is that your faith is not an individual personalized thing, just you and God and nobody else, ever. You need to be in community. And I've been saying this to some of you for a long time, and you're still not in community. But what happens when you're in community, it's not that you move around all these strong people who have strong believers and never have any doubts. No, you start to get around others who have doubts, and you can encourage one another and sharpen one another to move from doubt to faith. So over the next eight days, I want to challenge you to get in community. And what we have in our church is called ethos communities, where we get together, we encourage each other. We have them throughout our city. Jump in one and be encouraged as you move from doubt to faith. Now, but here's the last thing. The third thing I want to give you in this eight-day project, and this is the hardest one. It's this. Are you ready? Take all your expectations and say, here you go, God. I give them all to you. So the expectations you may have of your marriage ever getting better, maybe it's not getting better, say, God, I give you that expectation right now. Some of you need to give the expectation of uh, ever getting married. That frustrates you. That causes you to doubt God. There's no date on the horizon. Does anybody notice me? What is going on? Give it to God. Some of you got some jobs that are messing with you, not going so well. You're wondering, God, do you love me? Do you care for me? Give it to God. Lack of job, give it to God. School messing you up, give it to God. Take all these expectations, hopes, and dreams and come before God and do this. Say, 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 you are my Lord and you are my God. You are the one who died for me. You are the one who was raised to life for me. You are the one who is working every single detail out for my good. So right now on this day, Easter 2014, I give you every single one of my expectations. Here you go. Now, chances are, don't need to do that again and again and again and again. Because today you'll give them to them and tomorrow you'll say, okay, God, I'm going to take those back. Thank you very much. You've got to give them to them again and again and again. So your heart has to have this disposition that says, my Lord and my God, you are the one who died and rose again for me. You're the one working everything out for my good. Today and forevermore, I submit my life and my expectations to you. Let's pray. Father, I know there are some people here who came just to go through the routine of the service. They have, may have believed a long time ago, but they have drifted like a prodigal. Maybe they started drifting for moral reasons, intellectual reasons, or just expectations being broken, I just ask that you would draw them back to you this morning where they would start to believe again and trust and follow. And I pray for my brothers and sisters going through hard times right now. They're doubting whether you love them, you care for them, whether you really did die and rise, whether this is all true because of the stuff they're going through. Affirm to them that you are real, you are God, that you are in control of their life, you are sovereign. And may they submit their expectations to you and bow before you. Lord, we really want to love you. We really want to follow you. And when we get down in the pits of despair and down, Lord, encourage us through your word, by your spirit, by the truth. That your gospel is real. That you are real.
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.